Amen. Let's stand to our feet and read the Bible. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. ESV version of the Bible. When you get there, say amen. amen. Don't forget as you turn there, uh, don't forget if you haven't turned in um, your, um, your, your service slip, it's a, it, by the, our little book deal here, just slide that into the offering uh, tray up on the, on the wall. And, that, and we'll collect those and get the consensus of that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's start. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Keep going. Amen. I know y'all were excited about me getting to this passage. <laughs> um, um, today, during our time, I want to talk about roles and status in the local church. Roles and status in the local church. Let's pray. Father, we honor you, God. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy that endures forever. And we thank you that every word matters. Every word from you matters. There, we shouldn't build our uh, sermonics around avoiding what you say. Um, but, but, but we should be so bold to believe that there's a word from God in every single word in every passage because of the fact that you breathe it. There, there's a word from you for our lives. Every word of God is breathed by God and is profitable for doctrine. And so today we look forward to that and it trains us in righteousness. So God today train us in righteousness Train us in our redemption. Train us in what it looks like to walk with you. Train us in our commitment to you. Train us in our desperate need for you. Train us, God, today to look more like you. And so, God, like we pray every week, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength, our 
Redeemer, in whom we trust. Help us to be not only hearers of the word, but doers, so that we won't deceive ourselves, becoming hypocrites. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? You may be seated. You may be seated. You may be seated. Um, I've been preaching um, for 20 years, and by far, this is my second time preaching a minister in this passage, and it is by far the hardest text in the New Testament. Uh, uh, It's hard not for the obvious reasons, not hard to preach in the sense of telling the truth. That's not what I'm talking about. But, But Holy Ghost blowage needed to figure out what in the heck is really going on here, right? So that people can get clarity on what it looks like to walk in righteousness. I quoted the verse um, out of 1st, 2nd Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that talks about God breathes everything. How many of you know all of the word of God is breathed by him? It's breathed out. And, and how many of you know in 2nd Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, it says no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own imper- interpretation. How, how many of you want to hear my interpretation? Show of hands. How many of you want to hear what God has to say? That's different. That's different. So, so, so in preaching, we have to preach everything and preach without, uh, without personal preference, but being committed to God's biblical principles. So y'all praying for me today, right? So don't forget about that help that I'm going to need. This passage, Paul begins challenging the people on because they, the Corinthians, to me, <laughs> reflects in Hellenistic culture um, what we're dealing with in today's culture. They, they're dealing with, uh, especially the church, they are a better reflection of the world than they are the Word of God. And, and what Paul is continuously challenging them is to reflect God's Word by reflecting Christ rather than reflecting the world. That, that, mean, that means that the greatest influence on our life is going to have to be what God says, not what man says. How many of you agree with that? And so in, in our society, as we're dealing with a breakdown of things, the Corinthian church was dealing with the same thing. So I want you to pray with me as we go through this passage and be challenged in our commitment that the church would be the beacon of light and example that God has called it to be, especially when it becomes to women, men, men and women. The, 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 the issue of men and women needs to be a clarity for generation to generation, which brings me to my first point. If you and I are going to have clarity of role and status as the church and in the church, I got one point and one point for you only. Uh, God's order, God's order, based on his word, should define our status, not the world. God's order, based on his word, should define our status not the world. Look at verse 1. Many believe that verse 1 is a reflection that should be connected more closely um, <clears throat> to verses, uh, to, to, to the earlier part of the passage in chapter 10. But of course, if you know anything about the Word of God in each book of the Bible, there were no chapter divisions and verses in them. And so I believe that it connects with before just as well as it connects to af- after. And so Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, inferentially, Paul is helping us to reflect and recognize something in particular, that God has made us a certain way. In other words, imitating Christ recognizes that he restored your ability to be the best you for his glory. Not you create you, 
He creates you. So since he creates you, he's the redefiner and definer of everything that has to do with you. That means you don't have the right to redefine the creator's intent. Are you going to track with me? That, 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 means, that means God's playbook is what the commissioner from heaven sends down for every local church as a team to go out and be on the onslaught of the enemy's camp for God's glory to do what God has called them to do. Okay, and so, and so when we talk about imitation, Paul is helping us to recognize that our commitment is to what God says, not what man says. And so in imitating him, he said, don't imitate everything I do. He said, just imitate the stuff that you see that's like Christ. Uh, okay, and, and how many of you know you need to tell some people that in your life? Just, don't, 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 you know, you don't, don't, don't look at everything about me. Just look at the stuff that you know look like Jesus. So in order to follow somebody as they follow Christ, that means you have to know Jesus so you can distinguish what's them and what's Jesus. Are you striking with me? And so if you don't, if you don't, know, if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know, you'll just follow anybody and anything. And so what he's trying to do is he's defining for us what it looks like to follow Jesus in particular ways in our roles and our statuses. And so Paul goes further after he says that. And in verse 2, he says, now I commend you. He says, I'm going to big you up real quick. I'm going to big you up. He says, he says, because you have remembered me in every, everything and maintained the tradition even as I delivered them to you. <coughs> this is great. Because what Paul is talking about is a standard of doing things as a church. Meaning that every church in the New Testament, although it exists in a different culture, must have unifying principles that make it the church. Now, there's a difference between tradition and traditionalism. Let me see if I can make it plain. Traditionalism is man's attempt to add to God's word what is their preference, not what God actually says. In other words, they want to create a standard of doing things their way to conform people to their image versus, because see, you can control what you create. See, you can control, you can control what you create. And so, so what happens is, is the standard is the bylaws, not God's laws. Y'all ain't going to talk back to me. The, the, the standard is how you look, not looking like Jesus. And so what begins to happen is the judgment is based on what we've created as a subculture within a divine culture to have a fleshly attitude toward what it means to look and function as a church. That's traditionalism. That's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about here tradition. Somebody say tradition. tradition. Yeah, one more time. Tradition. Okay, that's, that's very, very important. Now, tradition here is not what you think, something that's stale and old, but it means something that's vintage, that helps people to get better in Christ like fine wine over time. What, what, what tradition is, is those teachings that Jesus commanded in the Great Commission to be handed down from generation to generation to generation to his people. And particularly in this context, he's talking about how the local church functions when it comes together. The Corinthian church is one of the first churches in the New Testament, like in chapter 16, where Paul begins to talk about them meeting on the first day of the week. So, 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 so what happens is, is he's giving them instructions from chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 on what do you do when you gather? 
okay? Now, y'all didn't know that there was some instruction to how we should gather. Now, the question is, now, a program isn't a part of gathering. Projections is not a part of gathering necessarily, okay? Having chairs, right? Chairs are great. Having a sound system, having a build, that's not, but, but, but Paul's concern is about the, having children's ministry isn't a part of gathering. <laughs> In other words, I want us to be careful. I'm not saying those things aren't important of making those things marks of what makes you comfortable in church. In other words, if we took the Bible out, and I'm not talking about what do I want in a church, okay? If we took the Bible out and we all just sat around and like read the pastoral epistles, Acts, what should a church have to be a church? we'd be strictly blown away and surprised at how much fluff we have in the church that has nothing to do with it, which makes us more traditionalism versus walking in biblical tradition. We'd be surprised. We'd be like, dang, nobody's watching the kids. Dudes in the sermon, you know, you got to do 20 minutes. Paul had dudes falling out of windows. The Bible says he preached a lengthy message. I like that. You know what I'm saying? Somebody said, just don't do that today, Pastor. Just don't do that today. <laughs> but, 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 but what Paul is trying to help us and what he helped the Corinthians with is to see the church from God's perspective. Are you tracking with me? And, 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 so, and so now we're going to go specifically into what he's talking about to help us to really recognize and realize what he wants us to understand. Look at, um, look at the next, look at verse 3. Sorry, I need bifocals now, man. I can tell. This looks far away, Pastor Larry. Looks so far away. Oh, my God. Oh, I need large print glasses already, man. Tag, I thought this God was going to wait a decade for it, man. All right. He says, but I want you to understand. Don't say nothing, baby. I know you're laughing. Um, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Let me say that again. The head of every man is Jesus. Husband is Jesus. Oh, I wish I could give something for free right here. Um, The head of a wife, not all wives and women. Some of some brothers say, see what the pastor said today, I get to tell you, come here, girl. Come. See, see, that's why you ain't married, because let me tell you. That's why you, know, you learn, listen, immediately when you talk crazy to your wife, she doesn't, she's not the, for about 30 minutes, she's not the weaker vessel. <laughs> Only husbands know what I'm talking about right there. Okay, okay, you know what I'm saying? Then she'll go back to being the weaker vessel, but trip if you want to, Okay. And weak don't mean what you think either. Um, now, 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 look, look, look at what it says. He said, the head of Christ is God. This is beautiful. <laughs> Good principles for us here. Okay. So why in the world would he begin talking about headship? Out of nowhere, before he talks about what's actually going on, he pulls out manhood, womanhood, and Jesus. Now, he centers this whole thing on Jesus submitting to God. 
In, in, in other words, Christ is the roadmap for how you submit to headship. And so, so, so in order for Christ, for my modalist, for Christ to submit to God, they both have to exist at the same time. That's another story. So somebody got that. Somebody get that on the way home. He has to be present for him to submit to him. Anyway, that's a whole other story. All right, all right, all right. So he didn't turn into the spirit, right? Anyway, whole other message, right? But, but, but was, what was powerful about this passage is Christ didn't become subordinate to the Father when he became a man. He was eternally the Son of God. So in eternity past, he did what the Father said. And you didn't see him talking about, see God, see, see Pop, why you gotta, why you gotta choose? The Holy Spirit like, I want a body too, I wanna know what it feel like to be here. You ain't see none of that. In other words, them in their deity as one recognizes the glory of being themselves. Okay? Be, 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 because if they're not, it, it will, do you know what will happen to the universe? Imagine what would happen to the universe if Christ just decided he's going to buck the Father. Now, the Bible says Christ holds all things together. So if he stops being the Son, everything collapses. Everything collapses. So what we're about to talk about is rooted in Christ being himself. Okay? So don't, don't get mad at me about what I'm about to say. Because I know some of y'all ready to cuss me out when I shake hands at the door. I'm going to drink some water, give you a hug, and tell you believe the Bible, all right? So he starts with men. He's not trying to say that women, wives, don't submit to the headship of Christ. He's going to talk about it in a second. Men, he's calling men to manly manhood and calling women to biblical womanhood. Now, I'm, 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 I'm going to lay this out in a second, but it's very, very important that what makes a man a man is his submission to Jesus Christ. Now, that means you should be wrestling. It's okay because he's Lord for you to wrestle with him as long as you obey him. Now, I know obedience is a curse word in our day, but, 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 but Christ is the head of him. Now, why is he doing this? Because in Genesis 3, let me just tell you something. The devil always wants to insert his big head self where he don't belong. Okay? Just know that's the goal of his life in your life is to artificially inseminate himself into your life. Okay, Genesis 3. Why would he say give this order, Christ being the head of God being the head of Christ, man being the head of his wife, and wife, uh, 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 and, and, and so on and so forth, right? Because the enemy wanted to reverse that. In the beginning, it was man, woman, and animals. But because the devil is so perverted, he entered a serpent, which is part of sub-created order without a soul. And what he wanted to do was tell the woman what to do so that the woman could lead the man. So what he did was he reversed God's divine order. 
to insert himself in there so that he could be our ruler. See, let me just tell you this for free. Whenever the devil tells you something, he's trying to take something. So what Christ does, Christ comes as a humble servant, overtly, not covertly, through substandard creation. As the second Adam to come in and restore the structure that God originally put in place, but does it in such a way that our sin doesn't recreate the fall. <laughs> Do you know your sin doesn't recreate the fall? Like, like him, being the first, him, him being the second Adam has put into uh, existence a cataclysmic, cosmic movement of everything being restored. So now, let's go into what he's specifically talking about now. Now that we got some foundation, let's look at this. Are y'all still with me? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Don't laugh at me. Here we go. He said, every man, listen, who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Uh-oh. But every wife, somebody say wife. wife. Not woman. Say not woman. Not but wife. wife. All right. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, this is, this is, this is, this is it's two backgrounds to this. Scholars all over the place arguing about it. I'm going to pull on both because I think the general principle is exactly the same. So, so, so it really doesn't matter necessarily which one you grab because the conclusion becomes the same thing. And so in their culture, what was happening, of course, is there were people who weren't in ecclesiological authority who had spiritual gifts. And during their gatherings, there would be times where men and women would stand up and pray just like we would, you know, at the Old Baptist Church where you have the, 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 the podium over here. Y'all know nothing about that. And whenever you read the announcements or prayed, you better not come behind that pulpit. You come behind there if you want to. Somebody tackle you and <laughs> drop an elbow on you, and, and, you know. But they would go around that. They, they would pray during the Sunday morning gatherings. And what was happening was several things, but I want to explain this. It means prayer was a part of the gathering. Both men and women did so. So it wasn't gender specific. It was gender neutral. Not only was prayer gender neutral, but also in, in the sense of who could do it, not gender neutral in the sense of who does it, right? But then you got prophecy. Somebody say prophecy. So during some gatherings, a woman or a man would stand up and they would have a word for the congregation. Woman or man would stand up um, uh, and, 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 and they would be ushered up if they have a word from God and proclaim that. Now, so Paul assumed that both men and women would prophesy, Right? Not necessarily did these women men, women and men, both of them, teach or preach. Just means they function with their gift in the body. Are you striking with me? All right. So what happened was, was not that was an out of order. What was out of order strongly was something else, how they looked. How they looked. Um, the men, uh, whether you believe the head covering, it could either be an actual covering or it can be their hair. Now let's just say hair is the covering, right? Hair is the covering, you know what I'm saying? Fix my situation, man, all right? Fix my situation, play down, all right? All right, so in their culture, 
men covering their, uh, having long hair, it's possibly it could be long hair or it could be a head covering. Let's explain both. If it's long hair, because there are a lot of people with a homosexual background in the church, the way certain men will wear their hair with long hair while praying or prophesying would be confused because that person will be putting on display their homosexuality. And basically, those who struggle with homosexuality wouldn't be able to hear the prophetic utterance or be able to pray because they would be sexually drawn in because in their culture, long hair for a man in this particular subculture would have meant homosexuality. Are you tracking with me? Now, or hair covering. Hair covering points to somebody showing off their status in society. In other words, that I had a lot of money. And so when I get up, I want you to see what I look like, how fly I am, not join in in the prayer or hear the prophetic word from God. Are you tracking with me? Now, for women, if a woman did not wear a head covering, it was a sign of immodesty. And so women who didn't have their hair covered, the only women in their society that did not have hair coverings were prostitutes. Over half the men in the church bought prostitutes before. Matter of fact, in the church, some of those women might have been women they bought. Can you imagine going to that church and, and a person standing up and displaying that particular thing, right? And so what is he saying? What does this point to? It points to gender clarity. Gender clarity in being who God wants you to be. What happened in their society is Paul wants them, every culture has what's feminine and what's masculine. Stay with me. In other words, when you see, now, now he's saying God honors biblical femininity that doesn't come against um, his Bible because, because everybody's born in the image of God, everyone understands culturally maleness and femaleness when you see it, okay? So when they come up and there's a difference or a blurring of the roles or who you are, guess what it does? It doesn't help us to show off the glory of Christ. Let me see if I can make it plain. If a man comes up to pray and prophesy and he got on jeans tighter than paint on this wall, I mean, can he, this is the test. Can you go like that? Can you go like that? Can you go like that? If you can't do none of that, if all people notice is your area, I'm just asking, is that a distraction? Wow, 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 wow. So, 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 so in other words, we shouldn't be enticing people to us. We should be drawing people into Jesus. Women, the same thing. Women, the same thing. Can you imagine, like good times or something, a woman comes up with a black and white fur coat on, a mini skirt up to here, just up to here, with some pumps where she can barely walk. You know what I'm saying? And she come up to the podium, red lipstick on. She like, she go up to the podium. Let the church say amen, pop and gum. The wives going to be like, look up there if you want to. 
<laughs> wow, there it is. Somebody got hurt. <laughs> For those of you listening by podcast, that was a Lamba Lamps coming to get somebody. <laughs> Some of the wives say, I can feel an incredible hawk anointing coming over me right now. Right? But, but, but there's supposed to be a God-glorifying distinction between us. Now, I'm not saying you can't look nice. But I'm saying that there has to be clarity. Role clarity of who you are as a woman. Role clarity of who you are as a man. Let me, let me take it even further. You know, um, one of the things that, 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 I mean, that confuses me a little bit, and I'm, I'm not beating nobody up. But one of the things that confuses me about homosexuality, relationships, is in the relationship, there always has to be a man in the relationship and a woman. So you have one of the sisters, I mean, not all, but they strap their situation down. They be, that's weird to me, sagging, got dread, just looking, just, what's up, man? You know what I'm saying? Just not knowing who, what, like, who are you? Like, I'm not trying to be funny. And, and that lack of clarity, and then you have to, and even in that disturbing milieu, if you will, there has to be gender balance that they put in place because they know there's an imbalance. Even, even, even in our most perverted areas of our life, we, we recognize by general revelation that there has to be a balance. Or one of us isn't necessary. If men and women are the same, somebody's not necessary. And so Paul is trying to establish in the church, it's not to beat anybody up about your sexual preference, but you gotta submit your sexual preference to the cross. Your sin ain't worse than anybody else. Somebody said, I'm born this way. All of us were. It's just you've made yours a lifestyle. Others have chosen to submit theirs to the cross. Let me just give you something for free. Don't change God's law because it doesn't submit to your personal preference. Submit yourself to God's change so that you can be different. This goes for heterosexuals and homosexuals. Is that, is that when, when, when God says no, don't walk away from the faith. Let me, let me just explain something to you. Most people, and this is why this is so important, a lot of the reasons why I've seen people walk away is because of a determination to do what they want to do and want God to legislate what they do. And because God and his people won't let them do that, they back up because they're confused about what God is like. And so, and so biblically, we're called to the rough work of submitting to Christ and who he says we are. And let me tell you something, ladies. When you submit to your role in who God called you to be, no matter how many degrees you got, no matter how much, <clears throat> how much the culture would try to create for you a caricature of womanhood that doesn't exist in the church, don't let it transform you. Men, the same thing. Don't let, don't let false views of masculinity challenge what Christ calls you to as a biblical man. That means, brothers, if you're effeminate, you need to work through that. If you're effeminate, it's confusing. 
Y'all ain't say no amen on that part. You need to work through that. You do. Ladies, it's not cute to say I just want to be around dudes because ladies ain't. that. Come on, man. That ain't cute. You need community with women so that you can be discipled by some women. All right? And so all of this is so much. I can go on all day. Just the applications of I'm a tomboy and all of that. You're a Christ child. All right, I got to move through this text. Got seven minutes and 40 seconds. Amen. It says, for a wife will not cover, uh, uh, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should not uh, cut her hair short. But since it is a disgrace for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. It's interesting in their context. If a woman cut or shaved her head, that was a sign of you being an adulteress. So for the rest of your life or for a season of life, you got to shave your head to remind people of your shame. So the head covering in Paul's mind redeems her from her shame that the world wanted to leave her in. God is telling this woman culturally in this passage, regrow your hair because I've redeemed you from your shame. <laughs> He said, he said, he said, so he said, I'm not, I don't leave you in your sin for you to live under the brokenness of what you did forever. I died to make you who I wanted you to be. That, that, that's the difference between the joy of the world and the joy of the church. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. He says, for a man ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. Not that women aren't ladies. But woman is the glory of man. He's pointing, he's using this to point to connectivity to one another. Watch how he lays it out as we close. He says, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. So he's talking about the order of, the order of credo, the order of creation. Okay? Okay? The order of barah, rather. So, so the order of creation as a sign of God's order in how men and women are to function. Check it out. He says, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither man was created for woman, but woman for man, okay? That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. In the Greek, it literally means to have authority over your own head. Not your husband, but yourself. For the sake of the angels. This is bananas. Now check this out. The angels, based on 1 Peter, last verse, watches the believers. Angels are part of the ruling authorities in the spirit realm under Christ to help the church in spiritual warfare. That's a whole other sermon. There's order, there are archangels, there are different orders of angels, different beings. But all of them watch us. And they watch particularly women based on this passage. The reason why they watch women, <laughs> because it's not applied to men here. It's applied to women is they want to know and look at how the people that are going to rule over them function in their role now. Because your ability to function in your role now points to how massive your rule will be when Christ returns. If, it, it, I'll do a series on it one day, but everybody's rule in the new era is going to be different. Okay? And so women, he, he's pointing to women, he says, angels watch your submission so they can learn how to submit. 
That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, even you will judge the angels. It's powerful. And so your role ministers to the angels. You submitting to biblical womanhood, angels are rocked off of it. Know why? Because they're always rocked by those who seem lesser, who have greater strength. Listen, women, y'all are detailed in the mug, like Tiff was saying. Y'all can do all kinds of stuff. We're in circles around us. They said, I just want to see how she's going to submit to this crazy dude. <laughs> anyway, that's for free. Let's move. He said, he said but, but then he balances it out. Verse, 30, I mean, verse 10. He said, that is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. He says, nevertheless, in the Lord, this is key, in the Lord, you should underline that, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. So us being in our roles is a mutual partnership and independent, a dependence on one another under Christ. Then he goes further, and he says, For as woman was made from man, so man is now of woman. All things are from God. He's a judge for yourselves. He's not being a cult leader again, saying, I want you to open up your mind and judge for yourselves biblically. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach that a woman wears long hair? Or is it a disgrace for him? So he's going to nature based on what we talked about earlier. He says, but if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her, hair is given to her for covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So the question is today, should women cover their heads? The Bible, again, talks about this in this section. Not, it's, this is not a normative thing, okay? It's based on what culturally submission is. This is very specific. But the principle is, is that the way we honor God in this is a woman should, in her disposition, a wife, have submission to the spiritual authority in her life, man or dad, a husband or dad, okay? And so Paul is helping us to know and to have a, a, a great appreciation for the way in which God made us in our society and in our culture to submit to this. I remember one time as I close, um, <laughs> my wife and I went to church, I won't say the name of it. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Um, uh, you know, there's still churches that put on head coverings to this day, Pente old school Pentecostal churches and brethren churches. I'll never forget, man. Um, my wife, I'm going in there to preach at this church, and my wife walking in, and, and, and some of the people took a joint. Now, usually when they go like this, they're about to cover you because you got issues here. But my wife don't roll like that. Hallelujah. Maybe at home, but not here. Amen. Um, somebody going to get that on the way home. Somebody threw something over her head. Now I got scared for their lives. <laughs> you don't cover a black woman's hair with nothing? <laughs> Putting some, do you know how long she took to get that curl to just sit right there? <laughs> anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but it was fun. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> the text is helping us to enjoy who God has created us to be Amen. and submitting to that reality and living in life. And Paul says, I don't want no trouble. He said, no contention in the churches. Live this out and walk it out for the glory of God through Jesus Christ. And remember, Christ was the ultimate one who submitted to his role 
and still submits to this role. Jesus is so powerful in his humanity and in his deity that he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he doesn't get to say when he comes back. He's God. He holds everything together. He's equal in essence, but he doesn't get to say when he comes back. And he doesn't sit on a throne. He sits next to it. When Christ returns, 1 Corinthians 15 says that after God has put everything on his feet, Jesus is going to take off his crown and give it to God the Father. It's in there. And he's the one that functionally did it. But he has enough strength in understanding his purpose that he can give away his crown because it doesn't change his value. And so I just pray that you recognize the power of who God created you to be, that sacrificing and giving away and dying to self is for God's glory, not for your destruction. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We honor you and bless you. Thank you for keeping my voice <laughs> during this gathering. And thank you for opening up our eyes to the glory of your roles, your strength to challenge us and to beast us out so that we can look more like Jesus Christ. Well, God, um, there are things in this passage that's hard for all of us to hear, but I'm glad that you love us enough to tell us what we like to hear and what we don't like to hear. And all of it works together for our good. So God, be with us today as we seek to submit to who you called us to be as men and women to the glory of God through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.